Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you um, chapter, uh, I should say Aliyah 4, section 4 of the Sidra of Genesis as part of OU's um, Shnai Mikra project. Vayomra Adonai Elohim, Hein ha'adam haya ke'echad mimenu ladatov vara, vata pen yishlach yadov lakach min me'et ha'chayim v'achal v'achay lo'olam. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man, the man, is like one of us, and that he knows good and evil, tov and ra, whatever that means. So now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life, and then eat and live forever. Once again, we have the issue of the nature of the tree of knowledge. One possible sense of the verse is that the knowledge gained from the tree of knowledge will cause man to desire to live forever, to go against God's will, which would lead us to certain conclusions about the nature of the tree. However, I think the sense of the verse is simply that since he has eaten from this tree of knowledge and knows that as a punishment he is now doomed to mortality, he will want to grasp immortality and go against me and try to eat from the tree of life. Uh, previously, I offered a few suggestions uh, as to what the nature of the knowledge was of good and evil. And by the way, note it doesn't say the, diff- the knowledge between good and evil. It just says the knowledge of good and evil, tov and ra. And as I said, I like the idea that the knowledge is the desire to create, which means tov, as well as the desire to destroy, which is ra. Also, we spoke previously about God's use of the plural like us in the chapter 1, where he says, let him make man like us. So here it says um, uh, he will want to be one of us. And I think the simple answer is what's called the pluralis regentis, which means the royal we. Which means lest he stretch out his hand and do this thing, this is what God decided to do. And the Lord God cast him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from whence he had been taken. I think that means that he was taken from the quote-unquote normal non-utopian world, placed into the utopian paradise of Garden of Eden, and now he's being sent back there to work the land, as God had said, with toil and pain as a mortal being. And apparently, casting him out of the Garden of Eden will not prevent Adam from trying to float back. Therefore, And God ejected the man, and he set up to the east, that is, God set up to the east of the garden, the cherubs and the spinning flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. Obviously, there's a lot of mystical, Kabbalistic stuff going on here, and I'm not going to get into all of that. I would just like to point out that the cherubs, which is a supernatural creature made up of a mixed species, usually a human with wings or a bull with wings, is also on all the barriers to the Holy of Holies, and the Mishkan all over on the parochen and on the carpet above it, and in the temple, Shlomo created a giant cherub to be inside of the Holy of Holies. And what this tells us is that the temple's Holy of Holies is a recreation of the utopian Garden of Eden, a recreation of paradise on earth. The angels and the flaming sword, therefore, are put to the east because that's where man and woman were exiled to. And, uh, in fact, most of the exiles that we'll see in Genesis are sent to the east. And, and, and therefore, one gets the sense that he felt that Adam would sneak back in, given the chance, and try to avoid God's punishment. In chapter 4 now, since we're uh, starting chapter 4, we get to sin number 2 
and we will see exile number two with a new generation. Um, and the man knew his wife, Chava, knew, of course, in the biblical sense, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. As she said, which means because she named him based on the following saying, I have created a man with God. Koneh here means create. It does not mean to acquire and purchase. And this similar meaning is found in the phrase, Hashem Koneh Shamayim Va'aretz, God the creator of the skies of the earth, not the purchaser of the skies of the earth. Also note the word et means with, like the Hebrew im. Very often et doesn't mean anything. It's just a, a definite object marker. But here it means with, which is why when you say in Hebrew with me, you could say it either imanu from the word im or itanu from the word et. Um, so perhaps she's saying something very audacious and uh, hubristic here. Um, but it's hard to say that the Torah is being critical of her or not. There's nothing obviously critical. The Torah doesn't come and say, how dare you say that I created a man with God. So there's no direct criticism of her saying that she and God created life together. But yet, it, maybe it is hubris. And perhaps that hubris will in fact lead to the problems which are about to follow. Um, or perhaps it's not hubristic as Rashi says and all she's saying is that she and her husband are now part of the process of the continuation of the human species she continued to give birth to his brother Havel and Hevel became a shepherder of flocks while Cain was a worker of the ground, a farmer. Clearly, Cain is at the center of the story, as Hevel is referred to only as, as the brother of Cain. More importantly, Hevel never gets a name. I'll repeat that. His name is not Hevel. It never says, and God, or Chava, and Adam named him Hevel, and this is why he named him Hevel. The word Hevel means nothingness. It means a mist or smoke that quickly evaporates and leaves no trace. Hevel is not his name. It's not who the second brother was. It's what he was. Hevel may have had God's approval here. He may be the quote-unquote good guy, but he's not the hero of this narrative. Hevel is nothing. He dies. He leaves behind no children and no wisdom and not even a single word. He dissipates and leaves behind no trace. The world isn't always fair that such a good guy should become Hevel. But it does. The world isn't always fair, especially when those who are good fall to those who are evil. And it was at the end of a year, apparently meaning at the end of working the land, both of them, which means they had their produce, and Cain brought from the fruit of the earth an offering to the Lord. Note that in creation one, the name for God is always the universal Elohim. In chapter two, which focused on the personal responsibility of God within creation, we have the combined Hashem Elohim. And now since it's all personal, it's all about making and breaking covenants, we have just the personal and Hevel also brought from the firstborn of his flocks and from their fat, and God regarded or accepted Hevel and his offering. But to Kayan 
and his offering he did not give regard, he did not accept, and Cain became exceedingly angry and his face fell. Now, the question is, why didn't God not accept Cain's offering? There's not a lot of backstory. We don't, we don't see the difference so clearly. So, there may be some backstory, there may be some negative psychological words or bent that Cain said, and some of this actually is described by the Agadic literature, which fills in the missing blanks. However, I think there are no missing blanks. I think the plain sense is that when it says, it means, it doesn't mean that he also, like Cain, gave from the first stuff. It means he also gave like Cain, but unlike Cain, who did not give the first of his fruits, he, Hebel, gave the first of his animals. Note, it does not say the word first fruits by Cain, and therefore I would say that it's clear that Cain kept his first fruits for himself and gave seconds to God, because essentially Cain does not recognize God at all, which is why he doesn't recognize his sin against God, since he doesn't feel that God needs to be, uh, to get the first fruits. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? And why has your face fallen? Is it not true that if you improve, if you do better, you will be carried? The word laseit means to to be forgiven, in the sense that the burden of sin will be carried or lifted off your shoulders. Getting back to the verse, and if you don't improve, then sin crouches in the doorway. And while it may have its desires upon you, you, however, can control it. Now, sin, chatat here, is obviously being metaphor metaphorized as a stalking beast of prey. And if you know, if you remember back by the woman's punishment, it said that her desire, her teshukah, was on the husband, would be for her husband, allowing him, the husband, to control her. So God draws a parallel here. Yes, sin is like a beast, and the desire to sin can be so powerful that it takes on an almost external existence, a palpable existence. But man has the ability to control this beast's desires every time. So perhaps after God said, why are you so angry? Perhaps he was looking for Cain to repent. Maybe that's why he was asking the same kind of leading questions he asked uh, Adam. Cain may have instead said, "What do you want from me, God? You created with me for the with the urge to sin. You you are the one who gave me the urge to line my pockets and take the best of my fruits and not to give you proper recognition. So it's your fault." So God says, "Yeah." I created you with that desire, and it is always ready to pounce, and it's very powerful. But I made you to ready to stand against it and stand strong every single time. So do the right thing, and all the previous sins will be forgiven. But if you don't, then it's your fault. But Cain doesn't listen, and things go from bad to worse. When Cain spoke to Hevel, his brother, and when they were in the fields, Cain rose against his brother Hevel, and he, Cain, killed him, Hevel. Now, we don't know what Cain said to Hevel before he killed them. There's clearly something missing from the story. So we have two questions. First of all, what's missing? What did he say to Hevel? And two, why doesn't God want to tell us? So Ibn Ezra says that Cain told Hevel what God had told to him that he should be aware of sin, but he can control sin. 
so the loss of Hevel's response may in fact fit into the idea that I mentioned before. Hevel is not who he is. He's what he is. He's vapor. He dissipates, leaving no trace, which means we have no record of, the, of his response or the conversation because any wisdom that Hevel had, any way of helping his brother understand what God was telling to him, apparently it was not enough to save his own life. And therefore, whatever he said is lost to the world, just like Hevel is lost to the world regardless of whether he was a good person or not. God now continues to try to give people or Cain a chance to admit his guilt and repent. And just as he asked leading questions to man and the woman when they ate from the tree of knowledge, so too now with Cain. Vayomer Adonai el Cain, eh Hevel achicha? Vayomer lo yadati, ashomer achi So God said to Cain, where is your brother Hevel? And he said, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Once again, rather than fessing up with God's leading question, he claims ignorance. But whereas man and woman understood God, and they understood there was sin, but what they want to do is to shift the blame to somebody else, Cain really seems not to understand what God is all about. He assumes that God could be fooled, and that fits with his idea of not giving God the first fruits. He does not think that God is the be-all and end-all of everything. Um, note that in biblical Hebrew, the verbs of knowing and feeling, such as yadati, lo yadati, carry present tense, or can carry the present tense. So in this case, lo yadati doesn't mean I didn't know, it means I don't know. Vayomer asita. so God says, what have you done? The sound of the screaming of your brother's blood comes to me from the ground. Now it's not clear why the word blood and therefore the participle screaming, the participle screaming is in the plural. Rashi offers two possibilities, whether there were multiple wounds and lots of blood, or maybe it's referring to not only Hevel's blood, but the potential offspring's blood who are now lost to the world as well. But the sense is the same. Murder cannot be hidden. And in fact, it contaminates the earth. And therefore, va'ata arur ata min ha'adama asher patzataf et piha lakachat et demei achicha and now, meaning as a consequence of the earth's contamination, you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to absorb the blood of your brother from your hands. Blood on the hands means your guilt, your responsibility. The implication is that Cain, who was a worker of the land, an Oved Adama, no doubt he dug up a good ditch to bury his brother in an attempt, in an attempt to bury the blood on his hands, his guilt, and to hide it. But that simply is not a possibility. When or even if you work the land, it will not give you its strength, meaning you will get no produce from it. Your days of farming are over. Therefore, you will be a never-ending wanderer in the land. A refugee, a Bedouin, without the ability to farm land does not have any chance at all. By the way, Navinat is also a Hendayadis, meaning two words with a single idea. Uh, it both means movement, but together it, it indicates a perpetual, never-ending movement. Before reading the next verse, um, it's important to know the trick about the words for sin in biblical Hebrew, chet, avon, etc. They can either mean sin, asiti chet, I did a sin, or they can mean the consequence for sin, the punishment. Kibalti chet means I was punished. This fits into the Jewish idea that crime and its punishment, its consequence, are always measure for measure. It's an action and an equal reaction. God always delivers the exact kind of punishment to match the sin. Therefore, let's go to the verse, So, either kind of saying, my sin is too great to carry, meaning to forgive, meaning that he's saying to God, listen, I need mercy, because he's admitting that 
sin, uh, the sin of murder is so great that it is beyond the ability to repent. And therefore, please, God, be merciful beyond the letter of the law in order to allow him to survive. Or Kaim may be also meaning that it's a sin. My sin is too great to bear, but he's speaking rhetorically, which means he's not repenting or admitting at all. He's saying, is my sin really so great that you can't forgive it? Come on, can't you find a way to forgive me? However, if Avon here means punishment, then Cain is complaining that the punishment is greater than the sin deserves, or at least greater than he could possibly bear, regardless of whether it matches the crime. Um... Depending on how you read this verse, either my sin or my punishment, it will affect the sense of the next verse. If you look at the various commentators, you'll see all of them take different positions. And the latter position, which is my punishment is too great to bear, that's taken up by Ebenezer. And I'll translate the next verse based on Ebenezer's approach, which I think is the correct one. Behold... You have banished me today from the face of the earth, meaning from being a farmer and from before you. And since I will be endlessly wandering in the land, it will be that all those who come upon me will kill me. Being a nomad, being a perpetual stranger with no means, Kayan is saying, is no better than being given the death penalty. So it's no punishment at all. You might as well strike me down right now. It's not fair. Vayomer lo Adonai lachem. Kol horei Kayan shivatayim yukam. And this is a difficult verse, but it seems there are two primary possible meanings. One is as follows. So the Lord said to him, or perhaps about him, anyone who kills Cain will be punished sevenfold. Or the other way to read Shiva Tayim sevenfold is no one should kill Cain now, since I guarantee Cain's punishment will be fulfilled after sevenfold, meaning after seven generations. Lemach, it turns out, according to Agadic uh, literature, is the one who kills Cain after the birth of his son Tuval Cain, and Tuval Cain is the uh, is the seventh generation after Cain. Or perhaps, as Rashi puts it, Lemach is uh, who did the killing is the seventh generation after Adam. Uh, returning to the verse, and the Lord placed a mark, or so the Lord placed a, placed a mark upon Cain, so that all those who would come upon him or would find him would not kill him. The idea of this mark, this sign, could be a physical sign, like some kind of tattoo that says, yeah, you know, Cain, don't kill. Or a sign can be some kind of event that transpires, such as the fact that no one does kill him until the seventh generation, which is a sign that God was true to his words and allowed him to uh, forbear the punishment for a while. And Cain went out from before God, exiled, and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden, further east of his parents. Uh, now, sometimes I think that there's kind of a joke going on here, and Cain is thumbing his nose at God's punishment. If you remember, God told him he would be nah and nod, nod meaning a wanderer. But Cain didn't want to be a wanderer, so he settled down and called the land that he settled in Nod. Do you see the kind of play on words? Nav and Nod. So he's keeping the letter of God's law. Oh yeah, I'll be a Nod, but not a wanderer, but a person who lives in the land of Nod. This theory of mine, even though it seems far-fetched, actually fits perfectly into the next verse. Because if you see, he actually managed to live in a city, in a very sneaky way. Vayeda Cain et ishto vatar vatelet chanoch vayhi bonet ir vayikra shema ir kashem beno chanoch. And Cain 
Cain knew, in the biblical sense, his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Hanoch. And he, Cain, managed to build the city and name the city after the name of his son. Oh, he can't build himself a city, but he called the city Hanoch City for his son. I'm just building it for my son. One can only assume that his son let him hang out there in the land of Nod in the city of Hanoch, and uh, maybe perhaps rented him out a hotel or something. And if so, Cain manages to sneak out of God's punishments. Oh, the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. And um, and uh, it's not so far-fetched, I think, because if you remember, when we go back to Adam, God put the cherubs and the twirling sword to guard the way to the tree of life, which implies that even after punishing Adam, Adam was likely to break the punishment and seek back into the, sneak back in the garden. Had Adam not wanted to do so, God wouldn't have bothered barring the road. Apparently, sneaking out of punishments runs in the human family, Cain learns from his father, and in fact does manage to escape his fate for a while which is God's point about uh, the seven generations. Fate will catch up to you, Cain. You can't run forever. Uh, God does not run his world so that legal loopholes can be uh, gotten to to foil God's will. At this point, I'm going to broach a, a difficult subject, which is uh, the question of who did Cain marry, since he was um, the man and Chava's only surviving offspring. Uh, he certainly didn't marry his mother. That's pretty icky. Uh, so rabbinic lore says that man and Chava had, Adam and Chava had daughters who married their brothers. But if you ask me, that seems pretty icky too, and it goes against the Torah's very strong incest prohibitions. Nonetheless, Ibn Ezra says this is the plain sense of the situation. I would like to say that it's also possible that God may have created or allowed other humans to develop after Adam's expulsions from expulsion from the experimental immortality of the Garden of Eden, since as mortals they would need to get cooking really fast on expanding the species uh, through procreation before they died. So why not mention that the women were born? These girls were born. So I'm sorry to say, especially because I know that I'm sure there are a lot of women listening to this, that the birth of females in the Torah is not really tracked so much, unless the woman, like Dina, becomes central in the character of the story, or like some others, uh, we'll see a, a woman named Naama shortly in the next uh, section, who are particularly famous. Uh, but generally speaking, women's births are not tracked. Sorry, but the Torah focuses on the paternal line. Vayivale the Chanoch et uh, and Hanoch had Irad born to him, and Irad, obviously his wife, birthed Mechuyael, and Mechuyael, again, the women are not mentioned, and Mechuyael gave birth to Metushael, and Metushael gave birth to Lamech, and Lamech, of course, is the seventh generation from Adam, so the fate of Cain is about to be sealed, or that or is he's about to have Tuval Cain as the seventh generation, which either way will mean that Cain's fate is about to be sealed. What actually happens during that seventh generation where Lemach is the main character, we will see in tomorrow's section in the fifth section.